know why I don't like Lent. For the same reason I like it. It's wilderness time. It's the liturgical time in our church year that asks us to look more deeply at our faith journey and at our lives, which is both a blessing and a curse. As I said, it is a good and bad thing because we just as soon swim in the shallow end as be thrown in the deep end, yet unless we are thrown in the deep end, we never learn to swim. Lent is a time when we come to understand our mortality and our finitude. The fact that we are not large and in charge or not God. On Wednesday we began our Lenten journey toward this awareness with having ashes smudged on our foreheads as One of the preachers said, from God you have come, or dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. Now nobody likes to be reminded of their mortality and finitude, and it's a little bit paradoxical for us to say it is a celebration of Ash Wednesday, yet I think it might be the ground of all true spirituality and faith. And it is a celebration because the story that we believe beyond any other story, regardless of what our culture tries to tell us, the story we believe beyond any other story is that from dust we have come and unto dust we shall return. It is a celebration of our faith because the one who created us out of the dust of the ground is the very one that we are promised we will return to when we have no more breath left. In the meantime, we wander a little bit in the wilderness of life, homesick until we return. Or, as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Or, as Barbara Brown Taylor said, The hollowness we all feel is not a sign of something gone wrong. It is the holy of holies inside us, the uncluttered throne room of the Lord our God. Nothing on earth can fill it, but that does not stop us from trying. Whenever we start feeling too empty inside, we stick our pacifiers into our mouths and suck for all we are worth. They do not nourish us, but at least they plug the hole. This is why Lent starts with the homesickness in the wilderness with Jesus as he fasts for 40 days, tempted by the devil. The text comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke, verses 1 through 13. Right after Jesus is baptized, and here's his name called as God's beloved son, the text says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, 
if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus said, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the earth. The devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to a test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until the opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. To tell you the truth, I'm not not really too big on believing in a personified devil as uh, a red-looking mean person with uh, horns and a pitchfork. Evil, yes, but not a personification of the devil. By the way, I, I love the way devil is spelled. I think it could just as well be understood from New Jersey as the evil, as in D-E-V-I-L, for that is the very root of its meaning. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as evil. I'm saying that there's, in my mind at least, no outward personification of the devil. And the reason I think it's important is because if the devil is out there, then it gives us a perfect opportunity to blame the devil for all that happens. The devil made me do it, as Flip Wilson used to say, for those of you who remember Flip Wilson. But if instead the devil is in here, rather than projecting our evil unto others, our ex-spouse, our enemy, or our adversary, or sibling, or any other political party, or even the president, then if that's the case, we have to deal with this thing in ourselves which is way more troubling, and indicting. In the wilderness, we are alone with ourselves and that devil. The devil, I think, of our own insatiable ego. And in the wilderness, we're forced to come face to face with all the ways that we, like Jesus, is tempted by that ego But it doesn't end there. For the wilderness offers us the possibility of claiming a story greater than our own self-story. A story of God's love for us and God's sustenance for us in the wilderness. 
And finally, the story of what lies at the end, which is, of course, home, the promised land. You know, I'm not sure that we ever become much of anything unless we have a wilderness experience and probably more than one. It's no coincidence that when Jesus came up out of the water and was baptized by John in the Jordan and heard his name called by God, you are my son with whom I am well pleased, the Holy Spirit grabbed him by the belt and drug him into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and be tempted by the devil. What it says is that just as soon as we reach the pinnacle of success or that place that we anxiously look forward to finding, no sooner than that, maybe it's like going to the Super Bowl, we get knocked off our high perch and make a fool of ourselves in the press room afterward. We get married and it's a lovely marriage and we go on a very passionate, intimate honeymoon and we come home and find that there is a sort of wilderness waiting for us. He keeps leaving the toilet lid open. He keeps leaving the towel on the floor. She keeps making and cooking the same dish every week. And in fact, until that wilderness happens, you really don't know what marriage is all about. You've just been elected CEO by the board after working your fingers to a nub 60 to 70 hours a week. It's what you always wanted. And you come home to tell your wife, and she says, I've had it. I've had being third or fourth on your list. I want a divorce. You've accepted Jesus. You've come down the aisle. You've heard the the altar call. You've, You've decided to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've even gotten baptized. I'm not talking about the sissy little water sprinkle stuff Presbyterians do. I'm saying you got dunked in the big pool of water. You've come out of that completely new, totally bathed clean of all your past life. You you wake up into the new world on Monday morning and you go to work and you find there a wilderness of ethical and moral decisions in your job where acting like a Christian will not necessarily make you a winner. Friends, the good news is that by the grace of God, everything that we think that matters regarding our own story, our own ego and self-worth, is being pulled out from under us every single day by the grace of God. When we are most full of ourselves by God's grace, the Holy Spirit grabs us by the belt and leads us into the wilderness to be tested too. Especially Jesus. Why not Jesus? Right after God's lofty words proclaiming him as God's son, his most puffed up time, taking himself too seriously maybe or too literally, next thing he knows he's thrown into the wilderness and where he can only do battle with those forces of evil in the world and in his own heart. Yes, he struggled 
He had to, in every archetypal story of every hero journey, grounded in the whole biblical account. Israel had to go through it. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. In every case, the temptation is the same. Either give in to the powers of darkness, which is the ego's drive to power and fame and immortality, the little S self, or to give up and give in to the capital S self of some transcendent value, some bigger-than-I-am purpose, some holy other voice that calls us to follow it rather than our own wants and desires. And in every single case, we know the difference because the little less self is going to keep us from facing the pain and suffering in the world, and the big SF self is going to nudge us and push us into the pain and suffering of the world in case we're wondering which voice is which. This is our time of trial and testing, and if you want to become who we were created to be and meant to be, we must go through it. Not just once, of course, but often, because we leak. Like sobriety, we are never more at risk than when we think we are finally sober for life. Every day, every encounter, every moral decision tempts us to sell out to our own ego-driven self. And in most cases, (coughs) we do. Especially when we deceive ourselves and think that we don't and are above it. I have three degrees on my wall. I am educated and never would I fall for such things. I have more money than my parents ever dreamed any person could ever have. I was born with a pedigree White, American, never happened to me. I'm a good Presbyterian, devout, religious, go to church on most Sundays, tithe, pray. Not really tempted much. Really. Jesus had more than that, and he was the son of God. Why wouldn't we? His temptations in the wilderness were not a farce. It was not an act. The devil Jesus had to wrestle with out there in the wilderness while he was weakened by hunger and thirst was absolutely real. Flesh and bone real. And it came in the body of Jesus himself. His own ego needs, his own small f s self needs, struggling with the large s self calling for him to be the son of God. Which is why the devil always began each temptation with the same preface. If you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. When my mother used to punish me corporally with a switch, she would always say the same refrain. This hurts me more than it does you. I knew she was lying through her teeth. She was saying it as a way to make me feel that she was in solidarity with my being switched, that I I, I was not disconnected from her. But dimes to dollars, I guarantee it hurt me a lot more than it hurt her. 
Jesus is not going through this wilderness time in order just so that we will feel in solidarity with Jesus. He is literally struggling, tempted by the devil, about whether his own small s self or God's big s self will win. Jesus was human and divine, but human in the sense that he struggled with the same things we do. Especially when it comes to these temptations, material temptations of bread or whatever other material temptations, political temptations of going up to the mountain and seeing all the kingdoms he could have had it. If he turned bread, stones into bread, He not only feeds himself, he feeds the world. That's how insidious these temptations are. If he he can change the political climate, he can stop wars and bring peace on earth. The devil takes him up to the highest point in the temple. There's no greater place of God's presence in Israel than that and says, throw yourself down and you will be saved by the angels and then everyone will believe No more schisms, no more religious infighting, everybody on the same page. All good and justified temptations. What is it about real temptation that is never so black and white, but always that kind of temptation where we can justify it? Every robber baron justified his wealth by pointing out the churches and libraries he built as a result. 150 years ago, we used to say that it's not about the economics of slavery, but it's really about states' rights. Or now we might say, you know, I don't want to give a handout to the poor because it really doesn't help them in terms of their character formation. Turn these stones into bread. Change the whole climate of political uh, kingdom making and bring everybody under the same religious banner. And those were, why wouldn't he do that? Because he chose not to be God. This is the temptation we all face. For evil, in its most insidious case, is that which tempts us to extend our own sense of self, to claim more power for ourselves than we really have. That is to say, I'm right or righteous. That is to say, I know more than you do. That is to say, that it is my job to fix the whole universe. In every case, that temptation is about me. How did he thwart them? The same way we must. He had a story that was greater than my story or his story. A powerful story that he used to beat back those devilish claims of ego. He referred to scripture. In every case, the the devil would use scripture literally at face value and try to convince him that 
this is what you must do. And in every case, Jesus would not rest at the face value of Scripture, but would go deeper, always deeper into the text for the spirit of the text, as in this case he drew from the story of Israel in the wilderness from, from Deuteronomy. And in every case, Scripture's a two-edged sword. It's always a two-edged sword. It can be used for or against any particular issue, for and against God. Jesus went into the depths of that story and drew out of it his own hope and courage for dealing with that temptation in the wilderness. He told them, those demons, I know this story. God and life is not about bread alone. God is the God of all kingdoms, not our own political power. God is the one who calls us into our place, not gives us a sense of complete self-righteousness because we are particularly religious. When Jesus parried with the devil, it was from the sharper edge of the sword that cuts through the surface into the deeper truth. And so does Lent. It led Jesus through the wilderness toward Jerusalem where he would face that final temptation when, Je- when the devil said he would wait until the most opportune time. And that temptation was the ultimate. If you are the son of God, then come down from the cross and save yourself. We know how it ended. As Philippians says, he did not claim equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Following the story of Jesus, we might just be able to beat back the devil from time to time, too. And when we can't, We turn to the story here that promises us that Jesus has already done it for us. Beaten the devil. Ever been in the wilderness? I hope so. 